Yeah, on. Two twins. Episode number 10. T, we're we've in, made it. We've made it to number 10, T. We're in double figures. We're in double figures tonight. Would it have been more fitting to make this episode three or episode 11, per se? Mm. Play with numbers. Nice. We just don't have enough uh, foresight to do that. And... Number 11 would be your episode. So, you know, we'll have to see what, what, what number 11 brings us. But tonight, number 10. We've always lacked foresight. Yes. Yes. Hey, T, what are your thoughts on music genres? You know, as some people listening know, I, I run a uh, nonprofit music studio for young musicians. And I will tell you, mm-hmm. one of the trademarks of young musicians is they're like obsessed with genres. They love classifying music into oh, that's indie or that's post-emo or that's emo or that's mm-hmm. post-rock or post-this or, you know. It seems to be that music genre classification is as big of a deal as ever. But tonight's band is a group that kind of proves that genre classification might might mean diddly squat when it comes to music, certainly from the era that this came from. What do you think? What, what's up with genres? You think it might mean Jack Frost? <laughs> could be Jack Frost. Well, I, you know, I do think that um, it does seem like things need to be grouped nowadays. Right. And I don't, I don't want to sound like an old geezer, but I, I probably will because I am. Um, but yeah, it does seem like, you know, uh, labeling and, and, and segmenting and grouping so that you can kind of, you know, group together with others that are into your thing probably means more now than it, than it used to back in, back in our heyday, you know, but, uh, but I do think certainly the part of the appeal of the band we're talking about tonight is, and it's similar to Toto, who we talked about before, where probably in some cases being genreless can work against you. If there is a certain audience that's looking for classification as part of the appeal, but Boy, if you can break down some of those barriers and some of those separations, uh, it can really help you uh, just be that much more creative. Tonight is a full contradiction, as I'm typically full of contradictions, to uh, a point that I made during the Our Lady Peace episode. Remember we talked about the 90s being the decade where music could be popular that you didn't have to dance to. Remember, we kind of talked about this whole idea of nowadays you got to be able to dance to everything. Well, tonight's album kind of proves that in the mid 90s, there were still certainly danceable music that could still become mainstream. But it, the, the whole idea of the genre thing, I like your take on it. Uh, every few years is a band that comes along and sort of pioneers the blending of two genres. You think about it, you know, Leonard Skinner pioneered the combination of rock and country to sort of a Southern rock sort of thing. Nowadays, you've got a very popular genre 
within the most dreadful genre of music, which is, which is country music. And it's, I forgot what they call it. There's some dumb name for it, but it's basically like a, a mix between country and rap. Right. Mm. And it's this whole idea of like big kind of hip hop beats with country singers singing on top of it. And it's, it's terrible, <laughs> but it's extremely popular. I've uh, yet to experience this. And <laughs> yeah, well, uh, my recommendation is not to experience it. So what's worse in your opinion, uh, country rap or festival rock? Oh, I would say easily this country rap. Easily. Festival rock, I could stomach if I needed to, but this country rap, it's, I mean, it's just weird. It's like a bizarre genre. It doesn't really make any sense. Music history is full of bands who take two genres and find a way to blend them and, and make that immensely popular. Little history lesson in the mid 90s, really to the, I'd say early to mid 2000s, maybe in the, the late first decade of the 2000s, a, a genre that dominated rock music was rap rock. It was this thing that came along and there were lots of different variations of it. But if you called a band kind of a rap rock band, there were some trademarks of what that band sounded like. And tonight we'll look at without question, one of the kind of pioneers of the rap rock genre, or at least style, if you will, and see what they brought to the table at the peak of their own popularity. Maybe you and I, maybe we'll do a little rapping ourselves. Well, as long as we don't have to do any dancing, because I mean, uh, shucks, I think we all know by now how you feel about that. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into all that. We'll rap, we'll dance. We'll cry. We'll do all sorts of fun stuff. But before we do anything, T, we're going to go round and round. T, what's spinning round on your turntable? got a brand new uh, album as uh, part of my first selection and it's a really cool band that's that's been around for a while called Biffy Clyro. I've talked a little bit before about everything everything and in some of these you know, kind of unique outside the box but fairly accessible pop rock type of music and Biffy Clyro would be another example that I think I'm going to start calling it prog pop. Um, it's very inventive, very experimental, and very unique, but it also maintains it <laughs> dare I call it Prague Festival Rock. Um, it kind of has a little bit of some of those elements to it where it's very modern and very layered, but very proggy in terms of creativity and experimentation and time signatures and all that kind of stuff that you can tell that some of these guys are influenced. So Biffy Clyro, their brand new album is called Celebration of Endings. The second is uh, what would be the sophomore effort from one of our favorites, Mr. Andrew WK, that being the wolf, great closer with Never Let Down, certainly a uh, longtime favorite song. But I really think that, um, you know, they kind of really stripped things down, got a little bit less gimmicky and a little bit more anthemic and a little bit more sort of straightforward rock on the wolf. And I thought uh, Andrew WK and the crew put together a really nice musical effort. They're obviously a very musical guy. And then the last one goes back a bit. It's uh, Barry Manilow 2. 
which was his second record. Great songs on there, including a little song you may have heard of before called Mandy. But, you know, early Barry, um, good stuff, a little bit more, you know, sort of groovy with some of the tunes. But obviously, uh, plenty of that trademark, you know, Manilow sound. I don't know, you and I both love. We are, it's fair to say that we are both Fanilows. We are absolute Fanilows. And and yeah. two is a terrific Manilow album. I love that record, top to bottom. It's just got a cool 70s sound to it. Underrated part of Manilow, the, the great drummer, Lee Gerst. Yeah, yeah. Was his drummer during that heyday and terrific drummer. No question. And, you know, there could be a day where we put on our Fanilow hats and maybe talk a little Barry in an, in an episode someday. I've had that thought. There's there's a couple albums that would certainly fall under the category of things we could look at, two being one of them. So, hey, spoiler alert. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll just tickle you with that one and we'll leave it there. What's uh, round and round for you, Nub? Round and round for me, first of all, is an album that it took me way too long to secure a copy of. But that is the new Failure album which has the really short title of in the future, your body will be the furthest thing from your mind. (laughs) And finally found a copy of that. I think they did sort of a crowdfunding thing for it, or it's not something you just sort of buy in the store. And so I finally found a, a double LP copy on vinyl and bought it, paid way too much for it and have been really enjoying it. Anything failure does is, Great. They're they're very much a Tof favorite. That's one band that I think Tof you single-handedly elevated the commercial status of failure uh <laughs> during the mid-1990s. And that era. was one we we went to the Tool concert uh when they were touring Undertow. And the biggest thing I remember is that Maynard couldn't get out of there fast enough because the Jesus Lizard were playing down the street at St. Andrews Hall. And Maynard, like after the first song, basically said, All right, we're gonna do a few more. And then I'm getting out of here because we were gonna we want to go see the Jesus Lizard. They're way better than we are. Um, but failure opened for them at that show. It was at the State Theater in Detroit. And I remember getting their four-track cassette tape, which was basically like the tour sampler that they um were selling for a dollar or whatever on this tool tour, um, which preceded their first major album. Uh, magnified. A few weeks back, we looked at Beastie Boys' Check Your Head. So I've been digging Money Mark's first solo album, Mark's Keyboard Repair, which we talked about during that episode. Indeed. And then uh, Deep Purple's debut, Shades of Deep Purple. I was able to get a mono copy of that, a record store day release, and uh, been listening to that. So some very early Deep Purple stuff, which is always good to get into. There's There's really not a whole lot of bad Deep Purple, but the early stuff is pretty fascinating. You can kind of see how they really pioneered a lot of hard rock and metal music. So that is what's round and round T. Tonight, we are going to look at the 311 album, 311. But no one calls it that, right? Catchy title. Yeah, very catchy title. By all technicality, this album is titled 311 by 311. But everyone calls it the blue album, which is interesting because most of the cover actually looks, you know, the white album is all white. The Spinal Tap Black album is all black. You know, Starflyer 59 gold and silver albums are all gold and all silver. This isn't really that blue, if you think about it, if you look at it. But that's just what everybody calls it. <laughs> looks looks pretty blue to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's got their logo. And we'll, we'll talk more about this when we get into the nerdy deets. But uh, what comes to mind for you right off the bat when you think about this record? You know, it was a little bit of a peculiar release because previous to the blue album, you know, you had kind of two different looks from the band. I mean, music was an incredible debut. 
And I'm not a huge fan of Grassroots, actually. That is certainly a bottom half album of theirs for me. And it's not so much the songs as it was the production. And I I just, my thinking back then was kind of like, it felt a little do or die, actually, for this band. You know, it was like, guys, like, get it together. We know that you have great grooves. We know you have great musicianship. We know that you can bring a lot of different sounds to the table. But it's time here on album number three to kind of pull it together, mostly production wise, but also performance wise. And I just recall being so into music, uh, their debut, and then being really disappointed by grassroots. So there was a little bit of a a feeling of, you know, this is where 311 is either going to break out or they're going to forever be, uh, band in sort of a pigeonhole genre that's never really gonna take off in the way that I think everybody felt like they should. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the rest is history. They, they surely took off. No doubt about it. And keep in mind this whole idea of, of this album sort of rolling out a genre, as we talked about at the top, rap rock became something that was extremely common, both in the underground, but even more so in the mainstream. And this album was pretty key into introducing that genre to a, a mass audience and making it extremely popular for several years. Let's look back a little bit more at some of the uh, ins and outs of the Blue Album as we look at those nerdy deets done dirt cheap. You want some dirty deets? Yeah. You want some dirty deets? 311, or the Blue Album, was released on July 11th, 1995. Now, this album is produced by Ron St. Germain, who the band would eventually work with quite a bit and would eventually just become known as Saint on a lot of the liner notes. And Ron St. Germain would produce some of the band's most popular albums. You mentioned music and grassroots. I think one thing that's interesting about the 311 story is those two albums were both produced by a producer named Eddie Offord. Mm-hmm. Now, T, what do you know about Eddie Offord? I know that he produced Yes, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. And, that, that's and what, I know that they sing to him at the end of music before the last track. They do a, a, a sort of a, you know, a little rap uh, homage to uh, their producer, Eddie Offord. They sure do. So Eddie Offord, until working with 311, without question, was most known for producing the Yes album, Fragile, Close to the Edge, Tales from Topographic Oceans, and Relayer by Yes. And ask most Yes fans, and that is like the heart of the Yes catalog. It's from I great- disagree. Those albums were terrible. I disagree. <laughs> yeah, they were awful. You know? <laughs> that would be considered the prog heyday of Yes. And by all accounts, a huge part of that is Eddie Offord. So Eddie Offord works with 311 on music and grassroots. Music is a fantastic debut. And you're right, Grassroots, the production on it was was not good. It did not have a good sound quality. Uh, it sounded very rushed. It sounded like they were overthinking what whatever sound they were trying to go with. And why do you think? I mean, because obviously, I mean, music was so well produced. It's such a great sounding album. I mean, and I know 311 has at times kind of said, we want to go for this or we want to go for this. And maybe they wanted to strip it back down or... But I mean, what do you think happened when you consider they've got Eddie Offord, they've got an album under their belt that really captured them properly? I mean, 
you know, I've always kind of wondered, like, what the hell happened on grassroots? I think we've seen this with a lot of jam bands in particular over time. And while 311 is not a jam band itself, they certainly can fit under that category for a variety of reasons. They get told every minute how great they are live. And they get told this so much that they start to think about, well, how can we best capture what we do live on an album. And I think one of the worst decisions a band can make is let's try and capture how we sound live because it never goes that way. And I actually think grassroots was an attempt to do that. It was like, let's catch us at a very raw concert like sound where everything is kind of pushed. And the reality is in an attempt to probably sound like how they sound live grassroots sounds, nothing like how three eleven sounds live. Yeah. Right. You know, live 311 is this powerful sonic experience. They're mixed extremely well. You can always hear each band member what they're doing. And grassroots sounds like a, a pile of sonic mud. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's too bad there's some great material on grassroots. It certainly wasn't, you know, at the fault of composition. You know, I mean, some albums are bad because, you know, writer's block or you know whatever it may have been bands just sometimes struggle to kick out good songs but as you can see from their live performances now i mean the material on grassroots is great but you know surprising when you mentioned eddie offered but one of the things that i think is very notable and uh you know i think it's 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 good and and meaningful that you brought that up here from the onset is 311 was a very influenced band you know, these were not, I think a lot of us thought when they were first coming up, it's like, oh, these guys are just, you know, they're just into rap and Nick Hexum is like vanilla ice or something. And, you know, they're just a bunch of guys that want to hop around and bounce around the stage and rap. And what you learn when you really kind of dig into this band, and I think it took a little while for it to materialize, is that they're very influenced. I mean, if you watch you know, Nick Hexum interviews. I mean, certainly he's really developed as an outstanding musician in playing with his, uh, you know, his jazz project and a lot of different things that he's bringing to the table. But even if you hear, you know, interviews from back in the day, you know, he's talking about growing up on The Cure and on XTC and on The Fine Young Cannibals. I mean, really good new wave from the 80s and really good early alternative. I mean, you know, these guys, I think all of them really love music. And I think that that's part of why this genreless kind of approach that they've been able to deliver has actually helped them. So along with St. Germain, who, who is cited as the producer along with the band, it was also recorded and mixed by Scott Ralston, who was the live sound mixer for the band. He toured with them. As we mentioned earlier, grassroots seem to be maybe this unsuccessful effort to capture the band live, but the Blue Album really seemed to capture the band in a way that sounds a lot more like how the band sounds live. And I think that's one of the appeals of this album. The album went on to sell 3 million plus copies, so it's triple platinum. The lineup of the band, which... A lot of people think this lineup was always a lineup for 311, and for the most part it was, but they did start off with a different guitarist. But as you mentioned, you've got Nick Hexum, who's sort of the ringleader of the group on vocals and guitar. You've got S.A. Martinez, the second vocalist, and we'll talk about this kind of two-vocal thing as we go along. Tim Mahoney, who's, some, who's somebody that we will 
without question, uh, do some digging into. Oh yeah. Because I know you and I are just such gigantic Tim Mahoney fans. Love him. The bass player, of course, peanut P dash nut. Yes. And on drums and, and certainly one of the true keys to the band from a composition perspective, a writing perspective, and obviously a playing perspective is drummer, Chad Sexton, probably one of the most underrated drummers around today. This album definitely had a lot of commercial success and was boosted by alternative rock radio in the mid nineties. One of the biggest nerdy deets of the album T that we have to keep in mind and have to talk about as we dive in here, this album is 39 minutes and 58 seconds long and it's got 14 songs on it. There isn't one song on this album T that's longer than three minutes and 32 seconds. It just moves along at this like kind of ADD sort of pace. But I think that's one of the things that gave it notoriety and made it really connect with listeners. It's a very fast moving album. It's sort of over before you know it, a rip roaring good time had by all. And so we'll get into that rip roaring good time. But first I want to hear your 311 wondrous story. Let's do the wondrous stories. See, how long did it take for you to realize that the band was not called 311? It was actually called 311. <laughs> well, there was another band around this time called Mr. Bungle, which actually had Mike Patton from The Great Faith No More. Both 311 Music and Mr. Bungle had similar album covers. They were, you know, a little bit cartoony. And I got those bands mixed up all the time. That's what you get when you go to the record store every day. And spend three hours there just confusing yourself. But yeah, it it took some time to kind of get an idea of what they were all about. And, you know, for me, it it really didn't completely solidify. I mean, I loved the stuff that I had heard on music and I knew enough about grassroots to know that, you know, I sort of took a pass on it, but the first kind of real, real meaningful 311 moment that I had was actually at their concert. And, you know, they came on tour of this album very, very early in the Blue Album. I mean, it was, you know, this thing had just come out. And 311 was the type of band, I mean, they were touring machines and they played at the Phoenix Plaza Amphitheater, which is in Pontiac, Michigan which was basically like a parking structure that they like put a stage on, you know, but it was a nice gathering place. And this was back when Pontiac was a little bit of a happening, becoming kind of a happening town around here. And I remember that uh, my buddy said, Hey, you know, I got tickets to the 311 show. You want to go? And I was like, yeah, I mean, sure. I, I like, I like what I've heard and we'll give it a go. But then I got really excited when I found out that No Doubt was opening for 311. And No Doubt had not hit popularity yet, but I knew who they were and I knew what Gwen Stefani uh, looked like. So I was yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah. So I was excited. And so we went to the Phoenix Plaza and we got there early because I was very determined to see No Doubt. And I pulled what every other red-blooded American male pulled at that moment and basically fell madly in love with Gwen Stefani. Um, and, and they opened and, you know, Don't Speak hadn't hit yet. And I mean, this, you know, they were very early 
Um, I mean, shoot, they were opening for 311 at this time. And I remember that I can't tell you the first like four songs that 311 played because I was essentially stalking Gwen Stefani on the side of the stage. She was hanging out, you know, by the t-shirt booth or whatever. And I mean, you know, she was not famous yet. And I distinctly remember I was, uh, I would have been what, 16. And I uh, walked up to her and said, love your band. You guys were awesome. And I kind of froze up and said, can I, can I hug you? And she was like, all nice and everything. She's like, sure. And I hugged Gwen Stefani, you know, by their t-shirt booth and probably bought like six t-shirts because I was so excited. And then I returned to the 311 show. And uh, so I, I did miss the first few songs, but I remember as, you know, it was an outdoor show. So as the sun started coming down and as they really started to dig into some of the very memorable, you know, live songs of theirs, I distinctly remember hydroponic and do you write and applied science with the Chad Sexton drum solo. And, you know, boy, the, the, the light bulb went off for me. It was like, wow, these, these guys are really, really good. And it was, uh, it was one of those shows I will probably always remember um, because I just got very, very like turned on to this band right in that moment. And I remember, and this was before down was a big hit. I mean, you know, they were, they were mostly capitalizing on their work from music and, and that's what the fans were into. And they were kind of introducing some of these songs off of uh, the blue album but a very, very memorable show. And then I remember we went back and saw him again, I think on the second leg of the blue album and certainly on transistor. And we've seen him many, many times since then, but that first show, um, once I got the, uh, you know, Gwen Stefani thing over with, uh, returning to the 311 show that night and realizing that this was going to be a band that was going to be very special to me throughout, you know, the remainder of that decade. Um, which they were and which they've continued to be in a lot of ways. Um, that was kind of my biggest 311 memory. So what's your wonder story, Nub? Yeah, I mean, while you were having your fling with Gwen Stefani, I was... <laughs> yeah. I was, was very, off, short, very short left. Yeah, I was off paying attention to the band. No, actually, uh, all three of us got hugs from Gwen Stefani that uh, you, me, and and one of our friends who was there... Uh, and I, she, she must've been the nicest person in the world at that point to let these teenage boys come up and, and give her a hug. You know, I was, that was, but well, it, I, idiots like us. And then I remember I, I, she probably really hated me because I remember then every single like dumbass, you know, in line behind us thereafter wanted a hug. Yeah, so right, she probably yeah. ended up hugging like 300 idiots that night. And it was my fault. Yeah, you you did kind of start it, but uh, remember that show vividly. One of the cool things about Three Eleven is they they play a different set every night, and have really since their beginning. And so you can go back and look at the set list from the shows and remember uh, what you've seen. I've seen Three Eleven more than any band in my live music history. Like you said earlier, they they deliver every time. But really, the beginnings of it all was I was uh, I was going to ski club, which in high school was this. Ah, ski club. Yes. Yeah. I was going to ski club, which in middle school was this program you could be part of, you know, on Friday or Saturday night, you get on a bus with a bunch of 
other, you know, friends from school and you go to Mount Brighton, which is a ski hill that's, you know, half hour from where we live and you ski and part of ski club was the bus ride to and from. And a lot of that was people listening to their, you know, Walkman cassette players at the time. This was, you know, still early nineties. And I was kind of in the back of the bus with some of the other music people and, Somebody had actually brought not just a Walkman, but sort of a little boom box. And they were playing this sound that sounded like a little bit of rap, a little bit of rock and a little reggae. And I was just like, whoa, like, what is this? And it was 311 music. And and by the, at this time, this band was very, very underground. I mean, there was nothing popular about 311. But I remember asking, hey, who is this band? And they said, you know, 311. And, and it, in my mind was 311. So for the first while, I just knew them as 311, you know, and didn't put together <laughs> what they're actually called. But I remember kind of thinking, wow, this is something pretty unique, you know. And then kind of like you, Grassroots came and went, didn't hear much from that. And then when the Blim came out, it was, there was some anticipation there. It got very good reviews and uh, there was some hype, you know. All you really need to, need to do with 311 is, enjoy a couple of the albums and go see them live. Yeah. And, and you're in, you know, we have, we have friends and we have a cousin who love this band. If you're really into 311, you travel to see them, you buy every album, even when they're not very good. And they've had a few clunkers. Shout out to Sev. Shout, major shout out, to Sev. shout out to Sev. Sev's not only, not only our cousin, but a great 311 buddy. And you sort of just become part of this band's culture. And we'll talk a lot about that. This band is really, really great musically and really important from a musical standpoint, just pure music, but they've also created quite a scene and quite a brand for themselves. And when you're in that, you know, it's a pretty cool thing to be a part of. One of the many disappointing things about this uh, pandemic is no 311 show, you know, no summer 311 show. And that, that really is something that's one of many bummers that we're all experiencing because that was kind of a, it's kind of a hallmark of the summer, you know, for, for me and a few friends that always want to go see what they have in store. So uh, 311, important band for us and uh, looking forward to diving in to the blue album. And let's do that right now as we go and drop that needle, drop the needle T. So like we said, it's short, sweet, and to the point. 39 minutes long and no song over three and a half minutes. It all starts with one word, and that is chill. Here's down. So 311's cool because you've got Nick songs and you've got essay songs and then you've got kind of the good mix of both. Down's a good example of, of both. But the fact that it starts with essay and, and, you know, it doesn't take long to figure out, you know, who's essay and who's Nick. But the fact that it starts with him kind of makes it a signature essay Martinez song. But the opening is, is key, you know, because... You get that really distinct guitar bit, and you just get essay coming in right away with the uh, the one word introduction vocal wise. So, I would love to hear your your entrance to down. You know, let's hear how you capture 
the the first word and then the words that ensue. So so I'm I'm saying chill or I'm just, oh, yeah. just well, free, of course. free freelancing. Why of course. No, I mean oh. let's hear let's hear you channel your inner essay and I want to hear you really nail that chill. Let's see okay. what you got. Let's see what you got. Chill. Not on my sign if my ego becomes a fucking child for someone I'm a thug. When I the ear, take a breath and my mouth is loose. So while I stand up split, I dream of juice. Have you ever made out in the dark hallway? This one's a dance to make your day. Say, this is the traffic regulation. It's your fix. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Love it. Yeah. Do I got, do I got some flow? Do I got some flow there? And maybe we'll have to call you T nut for the rest of the episode. <laughs> T nut. That's really well, good. That was quite, that was, that was quite delightful. Yeah, there's a reason that I've never uh, written a rap song. So I don't know. I think you've channeled your inner essay pretty, uh, pretty darn good there. You want to do it? Yeah, I'll give it a whirl. Let's do it. It's a great track. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> Chill. Step on the side where the ego becomes a fucking tower with some what's up a tongue to be in. Take a breath from my mouth and juice for my life. And I'm just a dream of juicing. Have you ever made out in the dark hallway? This place is the place to pay. Escape the track from your record collection. I thought I'd bring some Hexum there for like you just it. to round it out. I like it. I like so it. So there's a, there's a delay, um, which makes, which I think makes your essay Martinez impression. It'll make it maybe even more entertaining. Um, but, uh, but that was pretty good. I was trying to work with the delay, you know, but <laughs> try and time the delay, time the delay I mean, a little bit. Geez, it's hard enough, at, you know, on time, let alone trying to, <laughs> trying to do that. You know, I think that down, I mean, obviously a lot of, um, a lot of people probably, you know, write this off as overplayed and all that kind of stuff. But you know, to your point earlier, there is a a group of very dedicated, very loyal 311 fans. And every single time um, they play this song, Nick Hexum dedicates this to, you know, the longtime 311 fans. And when you actually dig into kind of, you know, what's being said throughout the song, it, it always, for me, it's kind of cool. It's, I'm not sick of this song and I never get sick of hearing them play it live because there is always an element of it where you do kind of realize and remember that, you know, you go way back with this band and, you know, we didn't really touch on it much, but these guys, they're from Omaha, Nebraska. You know, these aren't a bunch of guys from LA, you know, uh, who, who were like destined to be musicians or whatever it might be. I mean, these guys come from fairly, you know, humble. And while Omaha is a decent size town, Nebraska wise, fairly rural um, beginnings. And, you know, it's a kind of unlikely collection of talent to, to come out of a very unlikely place. And, you know, granted, I have a very much a soft spot for the, the Great Plains over there, you know, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa. Um, and they're all very 
good guys. You know, I mean, you've never really heard about these guys being anything other than really, really loyal to their fans and really, really appreciative of their fans and appreciative of the way that they've been able to develop and be in the music business now spawning several decades. And I love when they like talk about themselves, you know, in their music. I mean, they, they, they're really funny about kind of always, uh, you know, they're not really tooting their own horn. They're just kind of, I think they're just proud to be in 311 and they're proud to be, you know, delivering what their fans are looking for. And down is sort of the quintessential example of that, um, almost to a literal point. And, and I think fans always have and always will appreciate this song much further than, in, you know, an overplayed top 40 hit. You do wonder kind of like, you know, where did they get their funk? You know, they are Omaha, Nebraska kids. It's an important thing that you brought up. And like, where did they find all of this, this groove and kind of funk edge and, and all those things, just being kids from a, a very, very, you know, kind of Midwest, like you said, the Plains area. So that inspiration must have came from somewhere that really hit these guys deep. And that's, that's super important. You mentioned another kind of humorous and memorable thing about this band. You, do you know the 311 drinking game, right? Yeah, I think I've heard of the 311 drinking game. 311 drinking game is every time they say their own name in a song, you take a shot. <laughs> right. And by the end of an album, you will be absolutely plowed. Oh yeah. You know, they they love to call their own name out. And uh <laughs> and it which is like you said, I've never interpreted that as a pretentious thing. And I I think you raise a really important observation too that those Midwest roots give them something that make them a lot less potentially annoying. As you mentioned earlier, 311 is a band that has toured endlessly and down is the, the song that they've played the most frequently out of all their songs. The only one even close is applied science. Mm. And the reason for that is because that's the song that they do the drum solo in the middle of. And they fully mix up their sets. I mean, they're, you know, they're in, you know, grateful dead type territory and that you go to a show and you really don't know what you're going to get and what you're not going to get. But to your point, you can usually bank on getting down. No question. You know, the only 311 show I've ever been to where I knew what I was going to get was, gosh, I think at this point, this is maybe four or five years ago. It's not that long ago, but um, they were playing a show in Chicago. And so a couple of friends and I decided actually the, the aforementioned Sev, our cousin and another buddy uh, of mine, we, we got into a car day of drove to Chicago to see this 311 show it was near the end of the tour. And, um, didn't get to see him here in Detroit. So we're on our way to the show. And that night, because it's the anniversary release of the blue album. And at this point it would have been the 20th year. So it was in 2016. So it was the 20 year anniversary of the blue album, the night of they announced that they were going to play the blue album top to bottom. Oh, that's awesome. You didn't know until you were on your way. Yeah. We were in the car. Oh, that's on our great. Way, and we just started going crazy. I mean, it was yeah. like, Oh, how cool. And, that's so sweet. to hear down in the context of the opener was pretty cool that night. Cause typically you hear it in, in other spots mm-hmm. uh, sprinkled throughout the set, but that was cool. Cause it kicked off seeing this album in its entirety. And we'll reference that a few other times during the track by track here uh, because they were able to pull out some of the songs 
live that they really didn't play a lot and some of them really shined. One of which that they did play time to time, but not a ton, is the second song, one that really shows kind of some of the things musically, some of the intricacies that this band was capable of achieving, and that is Random. of a trademark offbeat groove you know um anyone who brings that guitar riff to a band that's not like an obvious guitar riff where you say oh great let's play along to it but the the cool part about the song is it opens up into this this kind of wide open chorus and you've got the the essay vocal and the nick vocal working together and the choruses and in the bridge uh but I, i think random was a song that after down and after the familiarity of down random was what, what told me, Oh, this band is, is really musical. You know, they're great musicians and they're not afraid to show it. I agree. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a great track too. In that when you heard random, it was like, Ooh, this is nice. I mean, it's, it's, it's a top 10, three eleven song for me, for sure. Only heard it live a couple times, you know, cause they, they really don't pull it out that much, but man, what a cool groove, you know, just really good Tim Mahoney right here. Um, and when Tim Mahoney and, and Chad Sexton get really kind of locked in on something, that is when, particularly when you're seeing stuff like this live, it is just a treat. Is there a better stage presence than Tim Mahoney? You know, when he gets like the little headbang going. And I mean, the guy is just mesmerizing to watch. I, I love Tim Mahoney. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I spend probably 85% of a 311 show just watching Tim Mahoney, you know, and, you know, he doesn't make a huge contribution to this band as far as composition. I mean, he certainly has, you know, a bunch of writing credits and has actually, you know, helped contribute some really good songs, but not necessarily his, his primary contribution. Now, when you see them live, you realize that he probably, adapts a lot of the material and makes it his own and puts an extra lick on it or puts his very unique tones on it. I mean, this guy throws off some amazing guitar tone live and just an awesome performer. I mean, he's, you know, he's a really, he's a big time feel guitar player. Um, and everybody in this band has groove. I mean, when they do, they do the drum solo thing and they all get on the drums. I mean, there's not one of them that doesn't know what they're doing. I mean, Peanut, Tim, they, they, they Hexum, I mean, even Essay, they, they all, you know, have good beat, good groove, and it's unique. The re, Part of the reason why it's cool that they do that during Applied Science, and for those that don't know what I'm talking about, they wheel out some floor toms and some, um, you know, other percussion elements, and they basically join Chad Sexton on a coordinated drum solo, and it's incredibly cool if you've never seen it live you know go on youtube and pull it up and watch it i mean it's worth it but every single member of that band you can tell has a percussive nature to whatever they play and even essay has a percussive nature to the way he raps and the way he delivers his his vocals but yeah that's part of tim's thing is you can just really tell that he's playing with a lot of feel and a lot of bounce. You know, he's not a top five guitar player as far as, far as chops or ability, but he's probably top five as far as guitar players that I sheerly enjoy watching. And he doesn't miss. I mean, I've seen this band countless times and yeah, the guy like never misses and he's got exceptional tone. He's got this really thick, robust tone 
that comes out of his playing. I mean, he's just outstanding. See, it's so long running 311 discussion is like, who's your favorite guy? Would you say you that you're a Tim Mahoney guy? <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably fair. I, I think Sexton is critical to this band and, you know, watching him evolve over the years and decades in his drumming is pretty special. And he, boy, he really contributes a lot from a, composition standpoint so yeah i'm pretty into hexam i mean all the guys are great i mean that's the that's the beauty of this band is you know i, I you know i do like watching mahoney the most but they're all fun to watch you know and i mean let's not leave out hexam you know he's a good guitar player he's a really good performer he sings great live you know he doesn't miss too often either i mean these guys are they get up there and they play long set lists with many many songs um and they're tight, you know, I mean, they still go out there, they're playing stuff off music and stuff off grassroots and stuff off this. And boy, you'd think that they're, you know, tour in that particular album because they really get up there and they really deliver. And I don't know if that's because they're insanely talented or insanely rehearsed, but probably a little bit of all of the above, but yeah, they're all really fun to watch, but I'd probably have to go with Tim on kind of uh, being my 311 guy. Track three is a song that sounds like it, could have been a single. Maybe the band intended it uh, with its catchiness. Jack-o'-lantern's weather. So by this point, you kind of get it. It's like, okay, this is what this band does. You know, they got these riffs that are a bit rolling and a bit crunchy and very groovy and choruses that combine different voices and all the elements are kind of there in Jekyll and weather, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, you know, and I think every 311 fan has kind of their favorite 311. Some people really like when they are just really heavy and some people really like when SA controls a song and some people really like when Hexum raps and some people really like when Hexum sings and some people like their chill stuff and some people like their reggae stuff. Some of my favorite 311 is I love these songs when SA and Hexum trade back and forth. And I, I mean, I love Hexum singing. I mean, I've always loved his singing, but I love when those guys rap back and forth over music that changes behind them. So one section will be one riff. The next section will be another riff. The next section will be something different. It's almost like, you know, when we went through Check Your Head and we talked about Pass the Mic, kind of a common string and a common theme to the guys sort of rapping in order. But every segment, the music behind them changes and it's dynamic. I love when 311 does it. And they do that constantly on this album where you'll get a song that's not too long, but you've basically been through like six different riff progressions in six different segments. And some of the songs have defined choruses. Some of them don't, but SA and Nick are kind of trading back and forth. I love that 311. I think that that's very, very common and, and very, very um, at the forefront. If you're really into kind of the rap element over varying riffs, then this is the 311 album for you for sure. That's maybe the best description you can have for the next song, a song that took on even a new life. The more and more the band played it live, the third single from the Blue Album, All Mixed Up. Uh, that's your best bet. Watch me now, I'm looking at my line, I say, 
Earlier we mentioned the statistics for 311's live sets. All mixed up is number three. So we said that down is one and applied science is two. All mixed up is the third highest frequency of songs that they've played live. Anyone who's ever been to a 311 show knows why this song consistently brings the house down. I mean, regularly. And if they're ever having a dead night, I bet you they play all mixed up and immediately the crowd is theirs. It's a, it's a pretty important song in this band's catalog. It is. I mean, it's, it's an amazing song. It's one of those that really deserved to become the hit that it did. You know, this, it would have been a shame for a song like this to go unnoticed um, commercially, but you know, you put together a song like this that showcases everybody. I mean, every single band member and certainly both SA and Hexam are really showcased on this song. And it's one of those that, you know, if you're a fan of this band, you're, you're really pleased that this one not only became a hit of its time, but, but became a song that to your point is, you know, very important to their live set and very important and sort of, I think, properly categorized as classic 311. And a band that's, you know, forever going to be known for the uh, depth and poetic nature of its lyrics. I mean, you could put 311 <laughs> up there with Dylan Morrison. Oh yeah. Some of the truly great lyricists of all time in terms of introspection and world changing. Well, listen, it's a, it's a very political band. Um. <laughs> this song contains one of my uh, favorite of those out of this world lyrics. Give me a little bit of the all mixed up. Give me, give me a little, give me the all mixed up. Oh, you want it? Let's get a little all mixed up going into the chorus. Let's get a little, as they go into that. All right, let's see here. Uh, All right, this one should be a beauty. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Watch me now with the I know I come to fucking style and get my world I mean, what the hell? What, what the hell is that? Watch me now with a wicked around and a bu- I mean, I, what, what is well, I thought that? he said, I thought he said, watch me now with a wicked and wild. And is I said, come with said? the funky style. Like, I don't know. Oh, is that it? I don't even know. All uh, I hear is, watch me now with a wicked around. Here, let's see if I can do it. Probably going to botch this royally. Great track, though. Cause that's your best bed. Watch me now with the wicked wild And I say come with the funky style that gets us known for the show And we'll mix it if I break it if we say it is so F the naysayers cause they don't mean a thing Cause this is what style we bring essay In the morning and last night's on my mind It's something need to get off my chest And no matter what may come with shine A dream will always be the down All mixed, mixed up. up, don't know, know what to do, do. Well, yeah. now we're now we're delayed, so we can't we can't do it. But okay, that, that could have been worse. Do you think that Hexum wrote like "Watch Me Now" with a wicked event? Like, do they write this stuff, or is they just? I just imagine them, you know, taking in uh, a lot of uh, uh, chemicals, substances, substances, and just going to the studio and just saying like whatever the hell comes out of their mouth. I mean, it could be, you know, I, I, I'm sort of fascinated with their songwriting process. It sure seems like, you know, Hexum and Sexton probably make the most consistent contributions. I can't really tell if Essay is lyrics only or if he contributes any music, but it's a little bit of a, you know, if you look back and you look at their commercial hits, 
more often than not, they're written by Hexum, you know, primarily. So it's kind of interesting to see how that works. But boy, isn't it funny? I mean, it seems like every episode um, in some context, you know, on the old podcast here, we we find a way to weave in, uh, you know, chemicals and substances having some impact on the creative process. I'm starting to, you know, it's episode 10. I'm, I'm starting to sense a trend here. Starting to think that there's some connection between substances and music. I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. No, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, lyrically, uh, Hive is a is a lot more clear because it starts with a little cuck I'm like a nightmare. Give me a little hive. <laughs> And the crowd starts jumping in unison, and your 311 show is off and running. Hive is a fan favorite. It's not one of my favorites. I have to admit that even in the context of the Blue Album, I think the middle is where it hits a little bit of a, a low point for me with the middle three songs, this being one of them. Yeah, it's it's always been kind of okay for me, too. I mean, I, I do like, again, the nature of the, the back riffing and those things uh, changing a little bit here and there. But yeah, I agree. It's there are a few 311 songs that a lot of fans really, really love, and I think are kind of meh. And uh, Hive probably fits that category nicely. I don't know what the opposite of a bell curve is, but you know, bell curve goes up in the middle. This album is is the opposite of a bell curve. The middle just sinks into kind of WTF territory, and with the next song completely leading the charge, guns parentheses are for whatever play it <laughs> well how about i mean obviously we we try to keep it you know we try to keep it pg-13 uh on the old podcast here why don't we just say um it's called guns are for wimps cats yeah guns are for kitty cats <laughs> yeah okay Gun- okay <laughs> guns are for kitty cats <laughs> all right roll it This song is awful. Uh, Oh, really? Oh, it's got one. It's got one cool part. The part you just played is the only cool riff. You know, man, I I kind of like Guns Are for Kitty Cats. I I really I didn't used to. I mean, when the album came out, I I think this is probably one of those I sometimes flip. The more I've listened to it over the years, it's a jam. I mean, I I you know it's great essay, and I. I don't know, man. Guns are guns are for wimps. I, I I don't know. Mark me down for it. I'm in. I'm buying. At the Blue Album Show in Chicago, total beer song. Mm, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. I the part you played is the only part I dig. That kind of low riff. It's super Tim Mahoney. Essay's doing some cool stuff on top of it, but it doesn't well, I mean, last long. And then it goes not, into a chorus that's just ridiculous. Well, I mean, the song's only two minutes. I, I played half the song. Right? So yeah, it's only yeah. two minutes long. So, I mean, maybe you do like it. Yeah. Things start to pick up a little bit with, again, one of those songs, like we said earlier, that earlier that very well could have been a single, if you think about it, Misdirected Hostility. I tell you right here, yo, I won't front across the teeth and skip non-legitimacies or else That all you have in you, purchase so much, thanks, and pay it so well. 
Here's another one where they, they I think they say 311 in it like 20 times, you know, <laughs> but um, kind of a mid, mid-tempo type of thing. This was one of those that they played live for a period of time and then hung it up for a while. And when I saw the Blue Album live, uh, it was kind of cool to see them put this one back into a live context. What do you think of Misdirected Hostility? It's okay. I feel like Hexum really likes this song. I mean, it's one of those that they really enjoy playing live. Um, I don't know. For me, it's kind of it's kind of okay. I'd stay at the show for Guns or for Wimps. Uh, misdirected Hostility is when maybe I'll go get my beer. I mean, that is if I were to be drinking at a 311 show. Well, uh, you never. Man, maybe I'll do one. I'll do one. <laughs> I'll do one. Exactly. It, it takes up until track eight to finally get that reggae vibe going, and it comes in the form of purpose. At least the at least the reggae vibe until that happens. Well, the three eleven reggae thing can go really, really wrong, and it can go really, <laughs> really right. And it typically it goes right when it's blended with something heavy, because mm-hmm. you know, that's what showcases the band's overall vision. Is we're going to take all these influences and make a sandwich out of them. But when they get overly reggae, like. Oh, that one single, um, Amber, which was like a big hit. I, mm-hmm. I can't stand that song because it's just, to me, it's just kind of reggae trash. But when they blend it with something that's kind of biting and heavy, especially in the chorus, you know, it works really, really well. And I think Purpose is a great example of that. I, I love this song. I think it's one of the better on the entire album. And I agree with everything else you said and have nothing to add. All right, T, let's get loco with a song about uh, vegetables. Hmm. This is one of the Blue Album show that was special because they never play this live. And you can kind of see why. <laughs> the the topic of this song is about um uh, it's about uh, the ingestion of a certain vegetable that grows in the ground and can do funny things to somebody if they take it mm. and the, the band clearly has, is a passion area for the band in 1995 to do a song about this yeah you don't have to dig too far to really uh understand that that's what the song's about seeing that that's the chorus right exactly exactly <laughs> It was fun to see them play local live. It's 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 a little bit of a throwaway track on the blue album, but uh, but live there were some cool elements to it. And again, for a longtime Three Eleven fan, very rare to see them play local live. Yeah, I, certainly a throwaway. I I don't, you know, sometimes in and they took a lot of criticism on Transistor more so than on this album for having a lot of tracks where you kind of scratch your head and say, now did this one really need to be on this record? <laughs> Loco could be fairly um, easily categorized as that. I think this one could have easily been left off, but Hey, it gave you a special moment at the, uh, at the blue album in full, you know, show. So if nothing else, there you go. Next is a Chad Sexton special, a song that he wrote on his own in terms of the music. And you can see why it's kind of a drummer's dream type of song. Brottles. Freedom 
Only the drummer would write a song with so much space, you know, so you can totally hear that snare drum. But uh, and then the chorus goes into a really cool rhythmic thing that Mahoney just owns. But uh, what do you think of Brottles late in the album? I think you need a song like this to kind of string things out a little. It slows the tempo down. It was a big, fat sound at the time, right? I mean, Peanut and Tim are just have really got the tone dialed in to just deliver this, this fat tone on top of this kind of big, to your point, spacious, you know, drum sound. I think it was important to, and I believe this is the longest song of the album at three minutes 30, you know, um, boy, basically Freebird at that length on this album. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I think Brodles is important to the record. It's a cool song and it, um, kind of shows you a, a little bit of variation and good for Sexton to bringing in something that's a bit more slower tempo. And I think really showed their ability to bring something big and rather powerful um, toward the uh, back half of this album here. Kind of buried in a place where the lead single is not usually buried very late in the album track 11 is the lead single. And in my opinion, you know, one of the best songs in the album, don't stay home. the quintessential 311 song you know words and music by hexam the only thing that's sort of glaringly missing from the song is essay martinez but uh don't stay home is a a song that they i think banked on to do really well in this album and it didn't down became a much larger hit as did all mixed up and they took years and years off from playing Don't Stay Home Live. And nobody can really explain why. And then they, they kind of picked it back up uh, during the last few years. But uh, Don't Stay Home is a great song. I've always loved it. It's so good. And I don't get it. I, I don't see how this song wasn't enormous. I mean, you go back to the time period. It's kind of a perfect, unique groove. It was a unique sound. It's got great vocals um, and a really, really cool part. I don't know. I, I, I still to this day don't understand why this song wasn't just enormous. Um, should have been a bigger hit. I think it's a better song than Down, a better song than All Mixed Up. And those songs just completely took off and Don't Stay Home just never caught. And I still don't get why. Um, there could be a lot of theories on that. Um, for a band that's as collaborative as 311 is, I mean, most of their songs have at least two songwriters, but most of them have three or four. Don't Stay Home is is all Hexum. So you wonder if maybe that played a factor that the song yeah. so much in his voice. Yeah, could be right. Um, and Down certainly overshadowed it. The, the immense popularity of Down kind of took Don't Stay Home off the radar since it was already released, since it was the lead single. All right, you end with kind of the bliss of Don't Stay Home, and all you hear is a little uh, little acapella intro to the next song. This was a cool one to see live. D-L-M-D. Yeah. 
CLMD. I still can't figure out what that stands for. I, I don't. I don't know. Spin, spin the beginning of it real quick. What on earth? What on earth does DLMD stand for? Don't let me down. Nah, no, no, no. Here, I'll play a little bit more. You got it, or you want want some more time, or? No, I don't get it. Okay. You good, or you want? Nah, I don't. I I can't stand when bands are mysterious like just. This. A, I mean, I'll give you just a little. What more. does DLMD stand for? Maybe it'll settle in. Hang on. I give up, you know, and then as S.A. Martinez comes in uh, right after that intro and just starts ripping it up. And that is a cool 311 uh, thing that they do is kind of when S.A. comes in and just takes over. That's certainly what happens here in Don't Let Me Down. I, I kind of like when S.A. just kind of, you know, takes control of the ship here and makes plays. You know, I think that's a that's a certainly a key to this song. Yeah, you know, it, with my ADD at age 15, I think, I, you know, I would often flip the song mostly just because I, I didn't like the first 20 seconds. But um, once you listen to the whole song, it does get into some kind of cool stuff driven by SA. So, you know, it's you're getting kind of down the stretch here. And uh, once you get past that uh, rather repetitive intro, um, you know, it's a pretty good track. So we're getting near the end of the Blue Album and we have Sweet. similar to the episode last week where we talked about the importance of the year and a half in the life of Metallica documentary 311 has one called enlarged to show detail that I think was sneakily important to our development of our love of this band as well because you got to see their personalities and as part of the documentary there's a clip of them playing this song live and again, this became a song they didn't play a lot live. And you uh, you got to kind of hear Tim play that solo to go out in the song. And and again, a very musical song and something that captures sort of the reggae and the rock and everything in between. Yeah, enlarge to show details hilarious. I mean, it is uh it, it it's it's a it's a good call and and similar to a year and a half in the life of um as far as it being a a VHS that we would watch very regularly. And it, it did kind of showcase, you know, sort of the down to earth nature of the band. And they were, you know, obviously at that time they were pretty young and a bunch of goofballs and there's a lot of funny parts, you know, but it gives you an idea of, you know, kind of how much they care about it too. You know, you come away from that thinking these guys are a lot of fun. These guys are hilarious. These guys uh, are into certain, uh, Chemicals, substances, indeed. Um, but on top of all that, they're a pretty passionate, very appreciative band. In today's day and age, it is not easy to stay in the music business for a matter of decades. It's hard. And you can't name a lot of bands that came up in the you know, early 90s that are still doing it. Uh, you know what else, T, that's really inspiring? They, they actually like each other. 
you know, this band has never had drama. You kind of touched on it earlier. Yeah. They've never had uh, any headlines. They've stayed together, the five, you know, original members. And they really seem to like each other. They seem to have a real respect for each other and they seem to be friends. It seems like if they weren't at a band together, they would still hang. And boy, how important is that when you talk about a band that amassed a lot of fame and money and notoriety, they've, they've managed to keep what appears to be really strong relationships with each other. It's so true. And I think it just shows every other band out there, you know, if you smoke enough ganja together, you're going to get along very nicely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to bring it home with a track that I know is, I mean, you, you can confirm or deny this. I believe this is your favorite 311 song. I think it actually might be number one. Uh, and while it might be number one in your book, it's number 14 and the closer on the blue album T and P combo. Yeah, and that's bam, bam, boom, and that is how the blue album ends. Boy, if you got TMP combo at a three eleven show, which I got a few times, you had a good night. Yeah, no, it took me a while to get this one live. Several, several shows. Um, Well, you know what? You actually got it at your Phoenix Plaza show, the one we were at. They played it at the very first three eleven show we were at, and then you probably didn't see it again for another, I don't know, fifteen years. Well, I must have been hanging out with my girlfriend, Gwen, during that time period. <laughs> yeah, but, you uh, guys were having your fling. Yeah, interesting. Well, yeah, but again, as as uh, we mentioned during the Wonder Stories, uh, at that show, I had yet to listen to the Blue Album in full. So obviously with this being kind of the last track and more of a, more of a deep cut, more of a 311 deep cut, if you will. You know, certainly hadn't heard this yet as of that show. But yeah, it's a it's a beauty. And I assume the T&P is Tim and Peanut uh, as far as the T&P combo. Yeah, it's, it's it's that's the most logical choice. And if so, they do they do combine pretty damn well in this song in terms of the what the guitar is doing with some of those climbing riffs. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, bass wise, we haven't talked a lot about Peanut, but I mean, he is an outstanding five string bass player. Yeah, he's good. Well, see, that's the blue album. And uh, I guess next and, and most logically uh, here on Two Twins in an Album, we need to talk about, does the blue album matter? T, does this album matter? No, I don't think so in the grand scheme of things. You know, I, I, you know if I'm going to be starting anyone on 311, it's probably going to be with music, which it's always nice when the debut is appropriate for that. And I fully think that the debut album from 311 is appropriate for that. This was an important album in the band's history because I do think it was a point where they needed to do or die. You know, I think if if the Blue Album, if their third record was a flop or didn't represent the, the band the way they needed to be, particularly after sort of the production disaster of Grassroots, I think this band would have had a problem. So it was important that not only they make this a really, really strong effort, but that they make this fairly commercially viable and and boy, did they. So, you know, important uh, album to a great band, as far as does it matter in the grand scheme musically? I'm not sure. You know, I, I think probably not. And obviously, you know, if I've got to take an album with me 
from 311. Um, it's probably going to be music all day, but you know, it's, I think it was a very unique album, one that really captured a really, really good audience. And, you know, like you said, from the onset took this unique approach to music and grabbed a commercial mainstream audience uh, via the blue album and has really allowed for this band to now maintain for decades. And if it weren't for the blue album, the band probably still wouldn't be around today to the same capacity. Do you think it matters kind of in the grand scheme? Yeah, I think taking the conversation back to the beginning of what we touched on, I think this album plays a significant role in the development of a genre that might not seem that relevant in 2020, but rap rock was a huge deal in the mid to late nineties in the early first decade of the two thousands. I mean, it really was, you look at bands like Lincoln park, a lot of things that were going on in the metal scene with that new metal uh, approach. You look at limp biscuit, you look at a lot of other bands that became tremendously popular And this album and the two that came before it, we're out years before that boom happened. So I think it's I think it's an absolutely important album because it furthered a genre boom that was significant for its time. Um, I don't know that it'll come back, but I know that during that, I would say during those eight to 10 years, rap rock was a, a really important genre to the commercial mainstream. And I think for 311's purposes, you know, this album and the one that followed Transistor, are far and away their two best albums. I appreciate music. I know what you're saying. It's got some great material on it. And it's always tempting to not say like that the obvious album was not their best, but I do think the blue album and transistor are one in one a back to back. Um, It's the band at its most creative at its most live. They seem to be open to a lot more ideas during those particular few years than the things that came before and and certainly what came after. And uh, it's just a really, really strong top to bottom album that showcases great musicality, but also something that clearly struck a nerve commercially as well. And so for all those reasons, I think it's an album that matters a lot more than, uh, than probably it gets credit for. So yeah, I think it matters. All right, T let's do our thing here on two twins in an album with the final cut is three elevens three eleven. On the turntable, is it in the collection? Is it collecting dust? Or is it in the dreaded for sale bin? T, where you got it? For me, it's collecting dust. I think it's important to have this in your collection. And so, you know, I guess I would say a strong you know, collecting dust plus if, if any of that's possible, because I do think it should be owned and I do own it. Um, but I can honestly say, I don't, I haven't put it on the turntable much. Um, and I think part of that is really just, you know, there are some holes in it. It's, it's got a lot of tracks, which is nice without being terribly long, but there are a few tracks on this record that just don't need to be there, you know, and, I don't think it dilutes it because, you know, that's just what you get from 311. I mean, Transistor had, what, 21 tracks? I mean, it's, you know, there was a time period, I think, for this band where they just felt like tighter and more is better. And, and you know, there's some appeal to that. And, and I definitely think they made it work on this album. But there are some holes. There are some throwaways. 
Um, but shoot, there are a lot of, of songs that are not only, you know, very appealing and certainly all time 311 favorites on this album, but there are songs that are pretty important to the time period too, and have become classics. And when you kind of revisit 90s music, those are important songs from this time period and from this decade. So I think it should be in everyone's collection. For me, it's, uh, you know, kind of on the higher end there of, of collecting dust. And it's so cool that a band like 311 has found a way to create this longevity. And, you know, for people like us that, you know, to your earlier point, love going out during the summertime and seeing this band, it always really makes you appreciative that they've been smart enough. They've been talented enough. And like you said, they've been together enough to be able to plow through and make this work now for a matter of decades. And that's really, really cool. Their big thing is unity. You know, they, they really title every one of their tours, the unity tour. And that was of course, one of the songs on music and they're a good example of unity for sure. I've got this album on the turntable. I, I listen to it very regularly when the sun is out and when it's warm outside. It's not exactly a winter album for me, but this is on the turntable. I listen to it as much as possible. I, I don't listen to a ton of music for nostalgic purposes. I, But there is something about listening to albums that happened during your sort of high school time. It's just a very memorable time. And so I do think a little bit of why this album would be on the turntable for me is because it does take me back to a pretty memorable time in terms of, you know, the, the kind of mid high school years. And, and this just was a soundtrack for us during that time. And so there's a little bit of that, but in the end, I still love this band more for their musicality than anything else. All right, T, well, let's chill and get into a little bit of... Thank you, Dolores. And five? We're going five tonight? Wow. T, what's in your head? Uh, I'm sorry. So uh, the first one is a band that we have featured on the podcast called Toto. And a song that I think we actually mentioned during that episode, but it's a it's a Steve Lukather ballad, I'll Be Over You. But I want to specify, as you have done before during In Your Head, with the live version at Montreux. So this is the, I believe it was 1991. It was one of the last laps that uh, they had with Jeff Percare on drums. And they just do this wonderful version of I'll Be Over You with a just shredding solo by Lukather at the end. And it is um, it is that band at their finest doing a really beautiful song at a very cool venue. Montreux performances are pretty special. So uh, the second is by uh, a favorite band, Saigon Kick, and the song Eden, uh, which was off their Devil in the Details album, which was really their first album start to finish to, to feature Jason Beeler full-time on songwriting, vocals, and sort of all things considered. You know, the Water album, you know, had him on most of that, but there was still some kind of after effect from the uh, previous singer. And this is this was the uh, record where it really became Jason's band. And Eden is one of my favorite Saigon Kick tracks 
of all time and certainly a great one off that record from that uh, tremendous band. And Jason's keeping it going these days, putting a lot of music, solo music up on Bandcamp and really good stuff that continues to come out of that extremely talented artist. So Eden, great song. And then the last one uh, is uh, by the Pointer Sisters. And a little bit of a late tribute here to uh, Bonnie Pointer, who passed away uh, a few weeks ago. And their song, uh, Dare Me, which is, uh, I think, one of the finest songs out of the 80s and certainly one of their best. Uh, Love those ladies. They were, boy, they were a bunch of riled up uh, ladies there that love to sing about big, strong men and stuff. I, (laughs) you know, I I, I love the Pointer Sisters, man. Those, Those gals were were uh, amazing. I would have liked to party with them. Huh? Oh God! Could you imagine? Oh man, they, wow. they would have. They would have shown you a thing or two. I thought maybe you were going to choose uh, "Hot Together." One of my favorite <laughs> yeah, Great, it's so it's so hot together. Yeah, great usage of that song in Spaceballs. Oh, just uh, when, legendary, uh, legendary. President Scrooge is uh, you know messing around under the uh, Spaceballs, the sheets. Scrooping. Uh, He's scrooping. Scrooping, yeah. But uh, Dare Me, a great Pointer Sisters track. And uh, Nubs, what's in your head, buddy? I, I don't think my choices even come close to to yours. I mean, in two <laughs> moves, we, we went from Toto to Pointer Sisters. So, that hey, that's what, uh, that's what What's in Your Head is all about. First for me would be Strutton by Billy Preston. Just that great instrumental track where Preston really working the synthesizer extremely well. Uh, Ryan Adams' Trouble. Great song. And then Between the Buried and Me, Turn on the Darkness, which is one of the epic songs off of Coma Ecleptic a few albums ago, but certainly the undisputed masterpiece, I think, that Between the Buried and Me has put out to this point. Nub's kind of still in the midst of a probably 12-year process at this point of uh, trying to get me to, uh, to remotely understand this Ryan Adams thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're you're just not really getting I, it. Just I just uh, maybe someday, maybe someday, maybe I'll mature and blossom and understand this Ryan Adams thing. But I just freaking don't get it. So it's a little keep bit working of, on it. Keep working on me. It's a little bit like a Bob Dylan type of thing. I think that you you have to wait until it's time to understand why it's good, and then you can understand it. Hmm. But maybe I'll keep working on it. We'll see. It may yeah. never happen. It may never happen. So put it this way, we just covered a a 39-minute, 58-second album in about twice that time. And so our analysis is, is a heck of a lot longer than the album itself, which maybe speaks to the charm of this album. It, it's kind of in and out. It's very direct. And it's something that uh, that I know means a lot to both of us. And it was fun to talk about with you tonight, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, nice pick. Fun band to talk about. And one that... Uh... We certainly have spent a lot of time over the years listening to and attending performances from, and hopefully there will be many more still to come from these guys. It's really great that that we still have 311 around, and hopefully they don't go anywhere anytime soon. Well, we will go from 311 to episode 11 next time, and I look forward to whatever you have in store for everybody. And We welcome everybody to subscribe to us and give us feedback and give us ratings and make some requests. You know, I know that very soon we're going to be having one of our album request shows coming your way. So T, remind everybody how they can find us on Twitter. 
Yeah, I mean, we're on the interwebs, uh, no question. So uh, on Twitter, we are uh, the number two uh, underscore twins underscore album. Beautiful. And everybody just chill. And we'll see you next time here on Two Twins and an Album. Two Twins and an Album. Well, that's about it. That's all we have. I hope it wasn't too disappointing. We will see you on tour. Until then, take it easy.